Hello and welcome to our podcast. We hope it encourages and inspires you. Please head to our website for more information on what is happening at Ashburton New Life or to get in touch. One of our team would love to talk to you. Here's today's message. What is it that excites you? What is it that you enjoy? You know, what really gets you excited? I mean, I can share some things that get me excited. I mean, I love quality time with my family. I love the roasted pig with good company. I love that brown paper bag full of biltong. I like a gentle mountain bike ride. Here on the Canterbury Plains, around Lake Hood, no hills. I like a day out in the country with my chainsaws and the smell of fresh cut pine. Oh, I love that. And I love to go to a cafe and have a long black. One that's got thick crema sitting on the top of my coffee with good company, and that's my wife, who's cafe quality, of course. And I love to travel, but we can't do too much of that at the moment, can we? And I also love it when Otago beats Canterbury at rugby. Yeah. It doesn't happen often enough for my liking, but it's so good I can come to the church the next day and just go, Martin. Don't have to say anything else, it's just, Martin. He knows and I know, and it's so satisfying. What are the things that you enjoy? What is it that gets you excited? And today the title of my message is, What Excites Jesus? We are in a sermon series titled, Who Is This Jesus? By understanding what Jesus likes and what excites him, what pleases him, we can better understand who this Jesus is. So if you have your Bible with you today, let's go to Mark chapter 2, verse 1. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralysed man on a mat. So we've got Jesus preaching in a home. And it is packed, completely packed out. It's packed out in the doorways, the windows. There's no way in. But the Mark takes some time to say that four men arrive carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. So what's with this paralyzed man? What would it be like for him living in that time? All day he would have spent his time lying on the mat. He would need somebody to clothe him somebody to carry him, somebody to feed him, somebody to care for him. It wouldn't have been easy being this man with the mat. Nothing could be done medically, no surgeries, no rehab centres, and there was no ACC or benefits. He would have spent 
his days most likely by a busy road with the tin rattling it saying, please have mercy on me. Please have mercy on me. Somebody please have mercy on me. Just hoping that somebody would have mercy and give him a couple of coins so that he could live another day. A prisoner in his own body, no job, no influence, and seemingly not much of a future. There would also be this terrible stigma. Who caused this? Whose sin caused this man to be paralyzed? Was it his sin? Was it his parents' sin? Was it the sin of ancestors? There'd be this horrible stigma around him. And I just want to say today that everybody has a mat. This one was obvious to see. He was paralyzed and he had a mat. But I, I want us to know that we all have a mat. His was visible, but ours isn't always that visible. We might be able to hide and disguise our mat, present like we have it all together. But who are you trying to kid? We all have a mat. Who is carrying your mat and who is supporting you? Who do you show your weakness to? Who do you have pray for you? Who do you let see your brokenness? It is a very vulnerable thing to allow someone else to carry you. They see your weakness and they could drop you and hurt you even more deeply. Our mats are usually what we are least proud of and therefore are what we would most likely like to hide. Everybody has a mat. Let the mat stand as a picture of human brokenness and imperfection. But what this man does have going for him is friends. Four amazing friends that are carrying him. And as the prophet Joe Coffey said, you can get by with a little help from your friends. <laughs> we are made for connection. We are made for relationship. We are to love one another, care for one another, support one another, carry one another's burdens. In a way, these four men carrying this paralyzed man is a picture of the church. You see, that's what we're to do for one another. Carry each other. Carry each other's burdens. And carry people when they're weak and need support and encouragement. And I'm so thankful for the people in this church who have helped me and supported me and encouraged me and prayed for me for the last 25 years. See, being in a church is healthy. It keeps us balanced. It keeps us accountable. And it's amazing. That's where we get our support and encouragement and we bless one another. And I'm so thankful for this church and the amazing people in it who have supported me over 25 years. Let's go to verse 4. And when they could not, not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. So Jesus is teaching in the middle of a crowded room, in the middle of a crowded house. These four men cannot get the paralyzed man to Jesus. So what do they do? They climb up on the roof. 
and they start pulling apart the roof. It would most likely have been beams, and on the beams would be palm branches covered in mud. And all of a sudden, there's rattling and noise and sound on the roof, and a skylight appears. <laughs> and you've got to imagine there is dust and dirt falling onto the crowd and onto Jesus. This dust and dirt would be going in Jesus' eyes and in his hair and over his body. This would be a distraction, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't learn very much when I went to school. But if I did learn one thing, it's that teachers don't like to be distracted. <laughs> and while Jesus is teaching, this would be a distraction. All of a sudden, light appears, dust is falling. He's in the middle of teaching. And this happens. What do you think his reaction is going to be? And he looks up to see four sweaty men lowering another man down. But he sees even more than what we think he sees. Let's go to verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, you see, you and I would see distraction. But what did Jesus see? He's seen faith. And the Bible tells us that faith without works, without deeds, without action is a dead faith. These people have incredible faith. They're prepared to work around obstacles. They are so committed to supporting their friend, they cut a hole in the roof and lower him down. That is incredible faith and commitment in supporting their friend. And so Jesus doesn't actually see a distraction like we think he would. He actually sees incredible faith. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. It isn't what they said, it was their action. It is what they did. And Jesus sees these four sweaty men lowering another man who was paralyzed and helpless down to him. He saw real, genuine faith. There are three things that will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. Jesus sees their faith. He sees four men offering hope to a friend. And it is all motivated out of love. And this gets Jesus excited. This pleases Jesus. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven. I don't know if that's the response they were expecting. Jesus knows that this man's greatest problem wasn't sickness, but sin. While being paralyzed was this man's most obvious problem or condition, his biggest issue like yours and mine was sin. <coughs> Sorrow, suffering and death are all ultimately caused by sin. Let's skip forward to verse 10, 11 and 12. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, 
I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Jesus could have just healed him, but he wanted people to be aware of sin. You see, our sin separates us from a holy and righteous God. God cannot be in the same presence as sin. And sin deserves death and sin deserves punishment. And Jesus came to die on the cross for us, for our sin. And this is the greatest gift we can ever receive, is that gift of new life. New life in Christ. Our sins forgiven. Coming into relationship with God. And so Jesus is teaching this message as well. That, you know, we're all born with a sin nature. And this brings about death. And Jesus says in John chapter 3 that a man must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. And this is a spiritual birth. When we come to know Christ as Lord and Saviour. A great revelation to have is, I'm a sinner, but Christ died for my sins. So that through his sacrifice, I can be made righteous and have everlasting life with him. And a spiritual birth. Now we're just going to go to Luke 15 verse 7. And then Luke 15 verse 10. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. When we understand that we're a sinner and we give our life to Jesus Christ, Jesus celebrates and all heaven celebrates with him. Verse 10. Likewise I say to you there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. What does repent mean? It means like I'm going in this direction away from God, living my own life, selfish and dependent. All of a sudden, I, I discover Jesus or he finds me and there's a turning of my heart and a turning of my mindset. Instead of going away from Jesus, I'm coming back towards him. And that's what the word repent means. It's coming to Christ, coming to him to make him Lord. Jesus gets excited when he sees our faith and he gets excited when we acknowledge that we are sinners and are in need of a saviour and repent. Turn to him. When we can stand before a holy and righteous God and say that because of the cross my sins are forgiven, Jesus gets excited. That's what he came to earth to do, to die for our sins, to reconcile us to a holy God. So now let's look at some other examples where Jesus gets excited about a person's faith. There was once a centurion, which means a Roman officer. So a Roman officer understands authority. And he sent some elders to Jesus, Jewish elders, to ask Jesus to come to his home and to pray for a servant who was sick. But as he's coming, 
this Roman officer sends some friends to Jesus. And, and these friends go with the message. This Roman centurion is not worthy of you coming to his home. But this Roman officer understands authority. And he knows that what you say will happen. Because the Roman officer knows that if he says to soldiers, go, they go. And if he says, come, they come. You see, this man understands authority. So the message to Jesus was, you don't have to come into my house. I'm not worthy to have you in my house. But please just say the word and the servant will be healed. Let's go to verse 9. Luke 7 verse 9. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Our faith gets Jesus excited. And he's seen incredible faith with this Roman officer who understood authority about coming and going and your word having power. And then there was the Canaanite woman who went to Jesus because her daughter was demon-possessed. And she went to Jesus knowing that Jesus could heal. But she's a Canaanite, which means she's a Gentile. And there was a stigma on the earth at that time that the Jews were a superior people. And they, these Gentiles were kind of half-breeds, inbreeding, inbred, and, and not as high up as Jewish people. Jesus came to do away with all those things, but he's giving a lesson here to his disciples. And she comes, and, uh, and Jesus says, you know, I've come to bring the bread to Israel, not to feed it to the little dogs, meaning that she was a Gentile. And then she said this, but even the little dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall from the table. Yes, I'm a dog. Yes, I'm a Gentile. Yes, you're a Jewish person. I honor that. But she knew that if she could just get a crumb from Jesus, everything she needed was in that crumb. And Jesus sent incredible faith. Let's go to Matthew 15, verse 28. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Isn't that incredible? What did he see? Faith. And faith gets him excited. In Luke 21, verses 1 to 4, we have an offering happening. And back in the day, like in the temple, they would have a great big like pot at the front of what we would know today as a church. And when it came to offering time, people would come up in front of everybody and put their offering in. And you've got to imagine the wealthy people and the Pharisees like giving like putting on a show in front of everybody, peeling back the dollars, you know. Look at me, look at me, look how generous I am. And so there's kind of a show going on with the offering. But then there's a widow who comes up and places in the offering two mites, which is the smallest coins of their currency. So what would that be today? Two ten-cent pieces. 
And so this woman puts in such a little offering. But Jesus stops everybody. So ho, 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 wait up here. All of you people have been giving out of your abundance and putting on a show. But I tell you today that this woman has put in more than any of you. Because you lot have put in out of your wealth and your abundance. But this woman has put in everything she has. Everything she has, she has put in. Jesus stopped that offering because he had seen the person put in everything. And he honoured her for her incredible faith. She put in more than everybody that day because she put in everything she had. And Jesus honoured her for amazing faith and incredible generosity. Can I get the band up now, please? What excites Jesus? Jesus gets excited when he sees our faith. Our faith pleases God, and it's impossible to please him without faith. Our faith gets God's attention. Our faith, our dedication, our commitment, our worship can cause God to stop and say, wow. Our faith, our dedication, our commitment, our worship can cause God to get excited. I believe you'll get this story in all the Gospels, but today we'll look at Matthew 26, verse 13. This is a woman who's a prostitute. And she sees in the courtyard Jesus being dishonored by Simon the Pharisee and other Pharisees. They were intentionally being rude to Jesus. And eventually, she cannot stand it anymore. If these people are going to dishonor Jesus, I will go out, vulnerable as I am, and honor him. As a woman, as a prostitute, I don't care. I'm going to see this Jesus honored. And so she rushes out into the courtyard and she begins to kiss his feet. You see, Simon the Pharisee greeted him with no kiss. And he didn't give him any water to wash his feet or no, or no towel to dry his feet. So she does all that she can to honor him. She's not worthy to kiss his hand or his cheek as it would be custom of that day because of who she is. So she kisses his feet. And then she cries tears on his feet and she dries them with her hair. And then she gets a large alabaster jar full of oil. And the, and the scripture tells us that this oil was worth a year's wages. In today's currency, I would estimate that would be about $50,000 worth of oil. And she doesn't give him a, a drop or a dribble or a splash. She breaks open this alabaster jar and she pours the whole jar out upon Jesus' feet. She knows who he is and she is giving him profound honor. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told 
as a memorial to her. Can we stand to our feet this morning? This woman has just given Jesus profound honor and profound worship. And Jesus says, for all eternity, this will not be forgotten. What she has done for me will be remembered. You see, our faith gets Jesus excited. And when we worship like that, when we pour everything out and hold nothing back, it pleases Him and gets Him excited. So the title of my message today is What Excites Jesus? You can find some other things in Scripture, but our faith, our worship, our generosity, our dedication, our commitment to Him can cause Him to stop and marvel. Isn't that incredible that Jesus could marvel over us and our faith and extravagant worship? I think it would be great right now to give Him worship. You see, worship is nothing about what we can do for ourselves. It's always about God. You give financially, you serve people, you do things for other people, you will get rewarded for that. But you do not get a reward for worship. Worship just comes from our heart to God, where we surrender our lives and just be in awe of Him. And it's a beautiful fragrance and smell to Him. And He sees our hearts, He sees our commitment, and He can marvel over us and get excited about our faith. Is that incredible? Why don't we worship Him now?